I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Boys and girls, this is the Undisputed Era. Adam Cole, Kylo Riley, Roderick Strong. And you're listening to Going In Raw, baby. Hey guys, this is Charlotte, and you're watching Going In Raw. Going In Raw. That sounds sounds terrible. What's up? It's your girl, Sasha Banks, Legit Fox, and you are watching Going In Raw. You like that? Hey, Brendan Steve here. And Larson. And welcome back to Going In Raw, the only pro wrestling podcast you need to be listening to right here at youtube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Also available on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Larson. We have all sorts of Reward tiers over there, including mm-hmm. bonus episodes. Man, what a great schedule of bonus episodes. Oh, man. Off I'm the looking at that we haven't put up yet. Uh, let's see here. We did a tape trade this week, some UFC 2 gameplay with Cain Velasquez. Yeah, taking on uh, Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson. That was a good one. Uh, some 2K20 My Career and Ask Steven Larson. And then an overwhelming time about something there. We're actually filming this on uh, Monday. We're trying to more or less get a week's worth of content done in two days. Yeah, pretty much. So hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, your Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully you were safe on Black Friday. In theory, this is supposed to go up Sunday. Yeah, and hopefully you enjoyed 10 for the win. It went, we're, it's back, baby. Yeah. So check that out. That was a lot of fun. More of those to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. It's Monday. It's actually the Monday after Survivor Series. So we both stayed up late last night, uh, later than even after Survivor Series. Well, I and after our recap. I actually watched the second half of that this this morning. Okay. I just I plunked down on my couch last night. I bundled up. Oh, man, it was nice. And what a terrific. So we figured we'd review the Broken Skull Sessions. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I, this was, I was pretty shocked. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, but I guess sort of off the top of my head, I can start. Uh, with what stood out most to me was just how vulnerable and human, 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 the undertaker, Mark Calloway allowed himself to open up to, which we've never really seen before, which we've never seen, especially in an official, well, apart from those, uh, shoot interviews he's done with that, uh, pastor, his, yeah, but this, he seemed the set I think just the circumstances he can't because I watched a lot of that the stuff with the pastor, and it, it this came off as even more relaxed than that did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty shocked at just how you know all the, the the character was completely off, all the pretense, yeah, of kayfabe gone, yeah, completely. They gone. didn't try to hide behind kayfabe whatsoever. If anything, they pulled the curtain. What I what I found most interesting about it is that. Uh, WB has always been, uh, and they're getting better about it, hesitant to pull the curtain back on what really happens backstage in yeah. terms of process. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, it seems at times they're resentful of those who inquire about process, mm-hmm. um, whether it's from management, some of the talents, uh, some of the announcers even. Gory. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they seem resentful when, when fans of the product want to learn a bit more about the magic of how 
certain characters, certain matches come to be. And I always, I always think that not to cut you off. I always think that that resentment sort of stems from them trying to hold grasp onto kayfabe a little too long, a little too hard. And that look, I because I understand the flip side of it. Fans can often be a bit pushy and maybe come off as a bit entitled. But I think a lot of that just stems from the good natured. Uh, uh, it comes from a good nature desire to know more about yeah, the from, products from, they love. It's from it's from a, I think a standpoint of curiosity. Yeah, sure. Where fans want to yeah want to learn more. I mean, it's it's, it's like it, here's an analogy. Like uh, let's say DVD uh, directed commentary is never a thing. Yeah. And there's fans that want to know. Wow, Paul Thomas Anderson. I really want to know how you put together Boogie Nights. And he's like, no. <laughs> and then talks crap about the fans of the movie. <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of the analogy. Yeah. I mean, like in basically any other entertainment field, there's been some platform for people in that field to talk about their creative process, except put RF video aside. Uh, uh, another, from an official WWE capacity, there's never been an outlet consistently where people can go on and talk process. Now, even on the initial Stone Cold podcast, yeah, they brought the curtain down a little, a little bit. bit they danced around a lot they danced yeah, around a bit. I mean, like the ambrose one he talked about his frustrations working with brock but it just feels like it's i think part of it is the curtain i don't feel like it's ever come down nearly to this extent plus you have the undertaker more or less doing not more or less doing his first official interview not in character yeah and that compounded the the idea is like oh all right, they're not adhering to kayfabe whatsoever. They're tearing the curtain down. They're telling us about the process of not for an only, hour and forty minutes. Yeah, not only also. how he got into the wrestling business, the process of how the character of the Undertaker was born, the process by which he developed the character, not just from a, 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 an on-camera presentation, but a wrestling standpoint, mindset transitioning from Undertaker to American Badass, and then back again. Now, I agree. Like even Stone Cold said this. I could I could this could be a ten part series, mm -hmm. you know, each one being two hours. Um, however, that being said, within the span of this hour and forty minute, I thought that Stone Cold, who's by the way turning into a terrific interviewer, yeah. I feel like he covered the most important bits. I mean, there is all sorts of other stories that they probably could have gone over, but I feel like within the span of time. He covered all the important bits, mm -hmm. um, the stuff that I was hooked the entire time. Mm -hmm. I was just hooked, and I didn't want it to stop. Um, and uh, he, he hit, the, hit the beats you wanted to hit. Yeah, how he got he started, how the Undertaker was born. Uh, you know, they touched on a couple things between that and American Badass. Why he made that decision, and then pretty much brought it to, uh, uh, in in broad terms. Uh, why haven't you retired yet? Mm -hmm, yeah. Essentially. Yeah, that was really... And they spent a long time... He spent a long time talking about um, his career and the stage it's been at since uh, uh, Mania's 25 and 26. Because... Uh, well, even 27 and 28. The, the well, from 25 yeah, yeah. and 26 and on. Yeah. Like, since that time, he talked extensively about that, how he <laughs> felt that was in... Uh, I think we all agreed. That was a four-year program going from 26 to 28. Um, he talked about 30 with Brock, and that was fascinating stuff. Yeah. That was really interesting. I mean, because he, he, bring, he brings up the concussion during that match, and we'd always assumed that uh, we've seen that spot where they're ringside and, and Brock catches a kick from Undertaker and then dumps him on his back. I think we all just kind of assume, oh, it's probably when he was concussed. And Undertaker's like, I don't even know what happened. Even he doesn't know. He says he watched it 15 times. Doesn't know. And even he doesn't know. When it was, and it was pretty interesting because he 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 says like physically he was in shape, 
you know, like cardio, lifting weights and stuff, but that's not to say his body was ready for a match. Yeah. And it's interesting. He compares it to to his training now to – we're just going to skip around because it just seems uh, – that's kind of what we do. Um, uh, he compared to getting ready for these fight media camp. Fight camp, yeah, where you train, you train, train. Uh, and as he put it, you hope to get to your peak right when your fight's happening. Yeah, it's not just – so that, that was – I had heard that a while ago, and when he mentioned it, it brought it back how yeah it's it's a very specific thing they do to time their body to be prepared so that you're peaking for the match itself which is a, a fascinating mm-hmm. scientifically speaking it's really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. sports science and, and so yeah and so that's what the goal was and he said that his body wasn't prepared it was it was timed the timing was off yeah because he mentioned that sometimes before he's going to a match and his body feels great and he feels ready there's other times where it's not, and he's not. Mm-hmm. He brings up the match against Roman Reigns, saying that he was he he was hurting during that match, which is plainly evident watching said match. Yeah, uh, yeah. that his body was not in peak physical performance. He talked about the Goldberg match, um, essentially that that you know he didn't blame Bill for for that. He said it's just one of those things that happened. Bad, it's a bad day at the office. Yeah, um, but uh, so that's not how he wanted. His, his career to go out. It's not how he wanted his, his last match to be remembered. So what, like a matter of a month and a half later, he had that tag match at Extreme Rules, and it was great. Yeah. Some of the funnier bits. So like I, we, for, uh, for who's a 411 Mania, they uh, put up like a very extensive um, beat by beat. So I'm just going to go through this like a little bit and, and, and remember some of the funnier bits. Like the, uh, the, but the very beginning when he talks about Buzz Sawyer. Training with Buzz Sawyer. So, uh, he Stone came Cold, to the door naked. Stone Cold asked him how you got, you know, how you got interested in the business. They both grew up in South Texas. And so it was Paul Bosch. Mm-hmm. It's Houston promotion. Yeah. And uh, I guess Taker was saying that he was playing, I guess, some college ball. Um, decided he wanted to try to get into the business. Rather ran to Buzz at a gym or something, and he was like, "Yeah, twenty five hundred dollars. I'll knock five hundred dollars for every person you bring with you mm-hmm. into the school. Twenty five hundred dollars seemed like a lot for mid eighties wrestling training. That's a lot. That, yeah. but Stone Cold didn't bat an eye when no, when he, he said didn't. that number. So maybe no. that was common back in the day. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's, I feel like that's how much some places charge today. I yeah, I don't know. But then again, that's not exactly something I'm I'm too uh, educated on. Um, I do I do appreciate how they referred to Buzz as like you know a top worker. But what did he say? He fell short as a human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, he was a great worker, but fell a little short of that as a human fell being. Fell a little short as a human and being. And then he told the story of when he and like eight other guys came up, knocked on Buzz's door. Uh, he's standing there, answers it finally, uh, naked. Mm-hmm. Wonder why these guys are here. He apparently completely forgetting, forgetting that he was supposed to be training some students. And the best part of that is at no point did Buzz Sawyer ever train The Undertaker in an actual ring. Yeah. Yeah. Said he was stretching him out in the front yard and in the driveway of his house. Yeah. I'm assuming at that point he put clothes on, but uh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, he was like he was standing there butt naked. All I thought to do was shake his hand, and he didn't even have a strong handshake. He limp fisted me. Yeah, <laughs> he still could laugh at the whole thing. <laughs> and so, like, I, I love when they started doing shots, and you have that like post shot. Everybody has post shot face where mm-hmm. you're like, <sighs> and your eyes water up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Although, given the taker's reputation as a partier. That Cypress Hill story is funny, too. That was funny. We'll get to that later. Anyways, uh, uh, so he tell you know, like a lot of wrestlers, they tell the story. They'll start uh, training, and they'll be amongst a class of students. Week by week, people drop out. Yeah. And and taker would tell them that same story, saying week in, week out, Buzz would just have the, the guys come over and just stretch them. 
He said maybe uh, maybe he learned to lock up. Maybe he learned how to, to work an arm. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah. Um, and then one day he goes knock on Buzz's door and no answer. <laughs> he had uh, he moved different territory. Yeah. And so uh, Taker said he left behind a couple of Rottweilers, took the dogs. Yeah. 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 And then he went from there straight to Memphis, it sounded like. Yeah. That's what it, yeah. That's so it was a lot said. of on-the-job training. One thing I found really interesting about this, and I'm not that familiar with his work. I've seen like one of his matches in USWA. Yeah. Not seen a lot of his work in WCW. Uh, talking about his style back in those days. Of course, he played college basketball, I believe. A highly athletic dude. We saw that in fits and spurts in his WB run. Um, but can you imagine a guy with of his obvious athletic? It's it's like he was Dominic Dijakovic thirty years before. Yeah, I know. You know, uh, a big guy who could wrestle a highly athletic style was ex- exactly the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he went on extensively about how, as much as he really wanted to wrestle that exciting, fast-paced style and put on incredible matches with guys like Shawn Michaels wrestling that style, that it didn't fit the character of The Undertaker. Yeah, and he had yeah. to he had to scale it back a lot and slow it down. So when he did do something incredibly athletic, it stood out, mm-hmm. which makes tons of sense. Yeah, totally. From does, a character yeah. standpoint. And, and, and so one thing going through that period, he tells a great, great Dan Spivey story about how Dan was a tough guy uh, when uh, he was brought in to replace Sid as a member of the Skyscrapers. Yeah, so basically, like that was uh, they're in a match, they're in a tag match with the uh, with the uh, Road Warriors, mm-hmm. and uh, and Spivey starts going to town on one of them with like it wasn't like a steel He's chair, a chair, yeah, and he was like really taking it to him. And of course, the Road Warriors have always been known for, to be tough guys, yeah. and stiff workers. And Taker was sitting there watching this, and he was thinking to himself, "Okay, we're gonna get into a fight. This well, is this is gonna happen." Before the match, apparently, Spivey just turned to Taker and goes. Follow my lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. more. And this is Taker was saying, I'm still pretty green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't in USWA very long. Yeah. Um, and he's like, All right. Yeah. And so we stand there watching Spivey go to town on the Road Warriors and thinking, yeah. I don't know what to do, but I know we're gonna get in a fight when we go backstage. <laughs> so like the match ends, they get backstage, they do the finish, match ends, they go backstage, and Taker is describing and it's great because Taker seems to have it's it's so funny. What's great about it is that for a guy, it's funny when uh Eddie Salgado uh, went to go see him, and he's wearing the Taker shirt. Uh, according to him, Undertaker said, did I ever say that? The I'll put you down like a dog thing. Yeah. And he said, I don't know, did you? And he says, I've been hit with a chair. I've been hit with a chair so many times in the head, I forgot what happened yesterday, or something like that. Yeah. He has a very good memory. Yeah, for, no. He's got some core memories from very specific things, because he can remember. And when somebody starts describing something, you sort of understand just how powerful the memory is because mm-hmm. we all have those core memories yeah, that totally, you know, we can totally. remember exactly what's going on in our heads. And he can remember sitting there like in the locker room getting re- and he's sort of on the edge of the chair and he's preparing himself for a fight because he thinks that's coming. And then he can hear the Legion of Doom coming up, Road Warriors coming up the steps and they come in and he's about to, he's just waiting for somebody to say something. And all they say to Spivey is, oh man, thanks so much. That was some great heat out there. Yeah. And then Dan turns to uh, the, t- the Undertaker and just winks at him. And just winks at him. And, uh, and then the, my favorite part of that entire thing was, you know, then we ended up driving home. And uh, when, he, when I dropped him off, he looks at me and says, hey, that's it for me, man. I'm done. I'm done. And, like, that's something out of a movie. Yeah, I know. That's, like, that's something out of a movie. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm done. I think I'm, I'm, I'm over this. And then that was it. Then Taker was a solo guy. Yeah. That's crazy. It's so weird that's... how things were, so many things were done by the seat of their pants back then. Yeah. 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 
Um, there's a couple good stories about uh, Taker's time in Memphis. I guess Austin was there as well. Talked about some matches they had against one another when Austin was even newer to the business than uh, Undertaker was. Yeah, there was some miscommunications there thanks to Austin's uh, hearing issues. Hearing yeah. issues. Yeah. But no, you are talking earlier about them dropping the curtain. And the fact that Austin was talking about things like calling matches, mm -hmm. how Taker would go, you know, sa, 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 sa. And call a spot, yeah. You know, uh, whatever. He would call spots in between his, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, it, was, it was just very interesting to hear them talk about process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always fascinating hearing, you know, I guess Undertaker was a veteran in relative terms to mm -hmm. Austin at the time. He was the one calling the match. I don't remember ever having heard the story that he told about WCW saying that he couldn't, that he wouldn't, they wouldn't, they couldn't see him drawing a dime. I don't recall that, that either. Oli specifically. I'd never heard if Oli had ever said anything about that, about why. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when, uh, who was it? Uh, EMI, what was it? I think EMI said no to the Beatles, something like that. One of the major labels back then said no to the Beatles. It's like they, WCW, Oli Anderson says, we don't ever see anybody paying, paying, to, see you wrestle. paying to see you wrestle. And that was a big hit to him. And so he was like, well. And it, was, it wasn't just that he was told that and therefore kind of, you know, he had the lead. He was going in there for a raise. Yeah. Yeah. He was but also later on when they kind of didn't talk about it directly, when, you know, we'd heard that WCW had courted The Undertaker during the Monday Night Wars. Mm -hmm. uh, Undertaker's like, I wasn't going to go there. I remember what they said to me. Yeah. You know, back in 89, 90. Yeah. No one ever, and I, he said, I understand the regime is completely different now. Yeah. Nonetheless. Yeah. This is a place that gave me a chance to succeed. Yeah. And then if, if, if this ship was going down, I was going down with it. He spoke, yeah, he spoke very highly about, he seems like, he seems just like a very loyal guy. Cause he said, what did he say? He said, one of their payouts would have been as much as a year of my salary in WWF, mm -hmm. what they were paying in WCW. Oh yeah. Yeah. During the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but he, and, and the, the other thing is, it was funny is that he understood from, you know, when WCW started doing really well in the Monday Night Wars, he understood that it was largely because WWF was putting out crap mm -hmm. and they were still trying to cater to kids mm -hmm. and not change it up, not change their product. Mm -hmm. um, that was pretty interesting. Stuff. Yeah. That was pretty cool stuff. So the, yeah, the, the, his departure from, WCW, he goes to a, a, a meeting at Turner Tower, or they call it. It's, mm -hmm. it's Ole, it's Jim Hurd, and then somebody else. Yeah. And that's when they tell him, hey, you know, we don't see anybody ever paying to see you wrestle. And he was like, all right, I'm out of here. And uh, Heyman was his manager in WCW at the time, and Heyman was kind of acting as an intermediary to get him meeting at WWF. Yeah. Um, I know prior, according to the Heyman documentary at least, Heyman used to do some photography work Mm -hmm. um, in New, in New York for wrestling shows, so one would assume he was when familiar. he was like sixteen. When yeah, he was, super he was young. familiar with probably still some people in WWF. Oh yeah. Um, and then Taker tells a story about that how the night prior, uh, Heyman takes him out to a club, China Club. Mm -hmm. um, he gets some. He wasn't wearing his. Or he said back then the the the, the uniform for wrestler was Zubaz pants, Zubaz pants, and a tank top, and he had to get some nice pants, some nice clothes, go to the club, gets in Heyman's car, rips the butt out of the pants. Yeah. And so he's trying to hide that his butt's hanging out of his pants the whole time. So the meeting with Vince was interesting. There, there was something interesting about his coming into the WWF is that he was very cognizant. And in fact, like, you know, relaying this story in itself is very interesting because there are two very specific things where Taker was very scared about how he would be handled as mm -hmm. a character. Mm -hmm. There's the one that everybody has seen on the commercial. And hopefully, hopefully you guys have watched this in advance of us. 
um, uh, filming this or whatever, watching it. But there's the Eggman thing, yeah. which you guys have all seen. But then there's also when he had this meeting with Vince, Vince asked if he has any hidden talents. And Undertaker let it slip that he sings in the shower. And he's like, I know sold my internal reaction. I just kept a straight face. But he said on the inside, I immediately hated that I said that mm-hmm. because then I'm going to turn into like a singing guy. He said shower boy. Shower. That's going to be my gimmick. <laughs> yeah, shower shower boy. boy and Eggman. Because he was aware like, in you know, in WCW, he was out wrestling in tights. Mm-hmm, yeah. There wasn't with him there. There wasn't this over the top gimmick yeah it was just mean mark callis yeah, yeah. And he'd seen on on wwe tv uh they had that huge egg they were promoting forever and ever and ever in yeah. advance of the first survivor series of course yeah. we all know what they ended up being but his worry is like oh i'm gonna come out there and be Eggman. that's gonna be for me yeah. it's gonna be for me but then something even kind of worse happened and that was they didn't have anything for him yeah that's what vince said they have a meeting at, which is weird you have a meeting at vince's house uh they go through the trouble of bringing you up to new york having that meeting or Connecticut, sorry. Um, and then, you know, you assume talk for half hour, maybe an yeah, hour. Yeah. Only at the end of it, say Vince says, sorry, we don't have anything for you. Yeah. And they didn't say how long it was between that and then when he got the phone call from Vince. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, well, they. I mean, you could probably they, piece it together because he said it was before. He said we wouldn't have anything for you until maybe after Mania. Mm, okay, and then he said something, yeah, and this was a few months before that even. So that would have been Mania 1990. Yeah, which is Mania so it was like six. Months. six. Yeah, if it was six months before that, if it was so like November March. prior. Yeah, yeah. So maybe like a, it took him about a whole year to finally uh, 
get in there. And then the, they talk about the call. Stone Cold related to his own story about being called and Vince telling him that he's going to be the ringmaster of DiBiase and Stone Cold said, like, it's a terrible gimmick, but my foot's in the door, so I got a mortgage, I got a family, I got to take it. Mm-hmm. And Taker is like, yeah, hey, get, we've heard this story before. The uh, His phone rings, he picks it up, and it's Vince. Although I he's like, not sure it's Vince. I like Vince's uh, Undertaker's Vince impression, too, because it's really not on, but it kind of is. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it's decent. It's the, the He has the cadence of the speech. Down, yeah, he does. But not yeah. necessarily the timbre of the voice. Yeah. And so he picks up the phone, and, and Vince says, is this the Undertaker? Yeah. And then he puts the phone right here, and he's singing to himself. He's like, Undertaker, Undertaker. And he's I don't know if somebody's messing with me or not, but if it is Vince, I'll just, you know, Undertaker. That could be cool. Okay. Yes, this is the Undertaker. Can you be up here tomorrow? <laughs> yes, I can. Good. <laughs> Which was, was cool. It. And it's like, it's like, man, yeah, you immediately think. And then they, they show up on the big screen. They showed like the initial sort of really cheesy, poorly drawn design of The Undertaker. And it's like, man, you, you could tell that he it was immediately something that he could really sink mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. Um, because he's a fan of, you know, because he brought up like, you know, the old Westerns when there's a shootout, an Undertaker would come out and measure the uh, the bodies for, yeah. the, for the casket. Yeah. And uh, and you know that's a very it's a very ominous figure yeah. who does that and I would think that there was just a wave of relief because it's like holy crap Undertaker that's a, that's a pretty cool name mm-hmm. you know but you could tell just through his body language and how he's explaining the story that yeah he was like okay cool I'm not the Eggman yeah you know this is something I can do. and immediately he started talking about the process of figuring out who the Undertaker was and that's mm-hmm. when he started talking about um, the physical the in ring Undertaker and what that would mean and how he had to fight the urge. To be the athletic big man. Yeah, yeah, because they showed footage of his debut at Survivor Series 90, and, and, and they're talking about how the kids sitting ringside were just scared of him. Yeah. Because he was huge. Yeah. And scary looking. They did, yeah, they did. I mean, for especially for the time, they did such a good job creating a character that just immediately was kind of iconic mm-hmm. and, and resonated. I mean, you know, you look, they had, they, they had like, you know, the, he was all pale and he had like the, the, the dark makeup under his eyes, yeah. but none of it looked cheesy. No. You know, it looked really good. No, no, he was huge. He was jacked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he was kind of approaching things different than most wrestlers were at the time. It kind of felt, and part of that was a gimmick because yeah, it was over the top and you could say it was cartoonish, but it was rooted and it wasn't rooted in fun. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It was rude and, and legitimately scaring people. Mm-hmm. So if you were to go out there and do topes, I can, yeah, that's not, it's, it's awesome. It's rooted in mature content even. Yeah. Because when WWE references content that's like just sort of cool and darker, then it usually goes over pretty well. I mean, yeah. you know, granted, if you can take a look right now at The Fiend, and it's like, man, that's actually pretty cool. Like, you know, whether or not they're going to the actually handle the character else, yeah. correctly, who knows? But in the me, but for now, anyways, it's it's pretty cool. Um, even when Bray Wyatt first debuted, you know, the cult leader from you know the swamps or the bayou, wherever he's from, it was just really cool because yeah. that obviously had its you know some roots in some in some other fiction, and of course, uh, who was the wrestler who did the uh, the Bray Wyatt esque gimmick? That before? was Dan Spivey. Dan Spivey. <laughs> That's right. Waylon Mercy. Yeah, way to stop wrestling, I guess, all yeah, those no. years ago. That's right. But yeah. Dan Spivey is bringing this, this, this whole thread you're talking about full circle. I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, but that was all inspired by Cape Fear. By Cape Fear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is, yeah, when, when uh, Undertaker t- started talking about adjusting his style, he brings up Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees from mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. And they all move slow. They all move slow, but always they're in the right position. They need to be do what they want to do. To cut your throat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he started opting. And you can see that now. We've seen that with, with uh, Jackson Riker. Yeah. Um, 
you know, before he was given his directive from uh, Triple H, apparently, to be a Terminator, he seemed kind of lost out there. Mm -hmm. But once you get that through line of who your character is, you base everything else around that one thing. And that's perfect because that brings us to the moment, the, the tease in the trailer. And I got the biggest kick out of this and the biggest smile on my face when Austin said, okay, you're in WWF. Who did you go to for oh, advice yeah. in developing your character? And Undertaker said, take a guess. And he said, he said, it wasn't Vince. He said, throw, he said, no, it's not Vince, one of the boys. And he said, Jake, Jake the Snake. And that so makes all the sense all the in sense the in world. world. Yep. All the sense in the world. Yep. I loved that. I thought that was so good. That was so good. And yeah. Austin was like, oh, it was yeah, good. And, it made he, and, and Austin, Austin was such a good interviewer, and he gave Undertaker so much room to just tell the story while Austin sort of drives where mm -hmm. they're going. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I mm -hmm. thought it was so good. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. Uh, what other bits were there? Where did they move on from there? They sort of went to like the the American badass stuff. Yeah, they that, didn't cover. I, I like this when he talked about the Survivor Series match about how inside he was marking out so hardcore about throwing Dusty Rhodes out. Yeah, of the yeah, ring. and made a point of coping thanking him after afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah, they kind of transitioned. They didn't cover a whole lot of ground of that 10 or so years that he was uh, Undertaker. It's more just a process of the creation and the evolution of the style yeah. in ring and whatnot. Um, but then, you know, they talk American badass, and, and Undertaker says, I'm pretty good about figuring out when things are stale. Yeah. And when the audience thinks it's stale, then, you know, maybe I'm a little behind on that realization because I'm so wrapped up in what I'm doing. But nonetheless, like, you know, he, he more or less said, I got my finger on the pulse of mm -hmm. my character pretty well. Yeah. And it, it, he, he needed to hit the reset button. Yeah. Especially given the times, given the content they were putting out there. He felt like at this point, the Undertaker gimmick, as was constructed, was holding him back. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Vince agreed with him. Yeah. And we'd heard before on uh, something to wrestle with that him becoming the American badass allowed him. Because we'd heard before about, and they brought up in here about how the boys would react when he wouldn't sell for him. Mm -hmm. Because... He's he's like an undead uh, mortician. Of course, yeah. he's not going to sell. Yeah, but giving himself the creative freedom to be a human again as a character made him more vulnerable. Yeah, and allowed him to do a lot more stuff. Mm -hmm. So when he came back around to the dead man gimmick, it was like an amalgam of all the various iterations of Undertakers. And then we got the matches with HBK and Triple H. Whereas mm -hmm. before, he couldn't be that vulnerable in the ring. Yeah. It allowed him opportunity to grow as a performer. Yeah. And what was also really interesting is they, they actually showed the footage of his debut as the American mm -hmm. Badass. He'd mm -hmm. been gone for nine months. First, he had a groin injury. And then, like, three months or three weeks before he was supposed to come back, he got a, a pec injury. And, uh, and they showed it back. And, uh, and they, they, they stopped in Austin and said, is this all adrenaline right here? And he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, because you have no idea. That was, that's so interesting you know, you have this character you've been doing for 10 years mm -hmm. and you're going to debut something brand new. Of course, it's going to feel like a risk when we're watching it. I remember watching it and just thinking to myself, this is really cool. Yeah. Like it's Undertaker, yeah, he's on a lot. bike. Yeah. This is like badass. Like this is badass. Yeah. Um, because the Undertaker, unless you put him in like a doink costume, he's not going to he's not going to look like not like he's not a badass. Mm -hmm. He's always going to look like a badass. But for him to admit that it's like, man, this might be a fart. Yeah. This might not work. Yeah is is really interesting mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. and he goes out there and the, the the my favorite part maybe my favorite part of the whole thing was austin commentating over uh american badass's debut oh yeah yeah because what, what were they calling it uh posting posting, posting. Yeah. 
when he gets him up there. Yeah, because I think that's when he said, uh, Taker says, oh, Triple H, he posted here, and I think it's when he held himself up on the choke <laughs> slam. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. He's posting. Yeah. Oh, he's posting. And then Stephanie comes up, and she hits uh, Undertaker from behind. And, they're, and it's yeah. like, oh, I love her. Yeah, they're putting her over. They're putting her over big time. And uh, and then Vince comes down, and Austin just starts cracking up when Vince is down there. He's having the best time watching mm-hmm. this stuff. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, of course, Vince. Yeah. Oh man, it was it was really really good stuff. Um, but no, that that was interesting that they're like, hey, you know, this is such a wide deviation from what he was doing. Uh, they have no idea if it's going to work. But you see the crowd; the crowd's going apeshit oh, over it. Yeah, they man. were loving it every yeah. second of it. Yeah, yeah. And they kind of talked about how uh, Big Evil was kind of starting the 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 route back to Dead Man in terms mm-hmm. of of the character aspect yeah. of it. Um, and then, you know, he comes back, what, in 2000, so WrestleMania 20, he came back. So I guess it'd be 2005. Mm-hmm. He had that match against Kane yeah. and his return to Deadman uh, Undertaker. 2021 was 2005. Well, it was WrestleMania 20, so 2004. 2004. Yeah, that was 2004. Yeah, 2004. Yeah, because I went to 21. Yeah. Um, he came back as Deadman Undertaker to, to have that match against Kane. Um, and they talk about, you know, his matches against Shawn Michaels. And he kind of talks about how, uh, the second version of Dead Man Undertaker was the one that he can actually kind of work in all the various things and actually wrestle a bit more athletically. Yeah. And then we get to see a lot, you know, his two legendary matches against uh, HBK because mm-hmm. of that WrestleManias and then following that two really awesome matches, including one of my favorite matches ever, the end of the era oh, match. Me too, yeah. Against Triple sure. H. Yeah. And um, the, yeah, they showed all the, like, they showed a bunch of clips, and then Austin he brought up the picture of them mm-hmm. uh, doing their own sort of uh, encore, I guess. Or that was a own. shoot, yeah. And he says, you know, that wasn't planned. We just yeah. did it because it felt right. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, yeah, he was like, it was like abandoned on encore, I guess. You know, if you're doing a, a Broadway stage play or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they do the your bow, your final your bow, bow your final yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and that's that's kind of like when the retirement talk. We'll get to some of the 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 road hijinks in a little bit. Uh, the retirement talk, mm-hmm. kind of comes in because he says you look in my eyes you know that that's the look of somebody who's who's kind of thinking all right this could be it mm-hmm. um but of course it wasn't he had subsequent matches they talk about the match against uh brock um and he, he's saying how badly that match messed up his confidence not so much that it was a stinker you can't really blame him for that match not being great because he couldn't remember where he was yeah like so he didn't like, he is his his last memory or his memory going into that match ended at 3.30 in the afternoon. And he was like, there was a whole process of going to doctors. Stretching, yeah. Stretching. There's a whole like hour and a half long process that leads into the match. Uh, he says, I don't remember any of that stuff, any of that stuff at all. He says, I remember a conversation with my wife around 3.30, and that's when it goes dark. And then after that, I remember waking up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning at the hospital. And then the people next asking morning. him, do you know where you are? Do you know your name? Do you know your birthday? He, he didn't he know, he know the answer to any of those questions. Yeah. The only thing he remembered was, was Michelle's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was it. Michelle! So, I remember her. That's it. That, he got his bell rung pretty good. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to hear him talk about how he, when he didn't know when it happened. And it seems to be a constant give and take with him because they talk WrestleMania 33, the match against Reigns, and he would, like he was under the assumption that was it. It was done, yeah. And you know, he said he, he he's cognizant of not one to be a parody of himself. He he doesn't want to go out there and do it if he doesn't think he could put forth the performance. And we it's been uneven track record, um, even going back as far as WrestleMania 30 because he's put on good matches. A Hell in the Cell match against Brock was great. Yeah. Um, their SummerSlam 
Beth, I think it was, was pretty good. Yeah, his series with Brock after yeah was, was pretty good. Um, his match against CM Punk was good. Mm-hmm. He's had some well, that's before thirty, but his match against Bray at thirty one, not that great. Yeah, um, match against Roman, he was trying. Yeah. He just couldn't perform at the, the level physically that he was used to. It definitely put a different perspective on, you know, we always talk about, oh, the Undertaker, really, they're going to wheel him out. When you when you see somebody at their most human, it definitely puts a different light on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it forces you to remember, oh, yeah, this person. The thing that, that struck me the most with that line of questioning was just he's always trying. It's For him, it's simply a personal challenge. I mean, I'm sure the money is great, too. But for him, it's a personal challenge to mm-hmm. see if he can get to the place physically and mentally where he can put on a match that people would expect a certain level of performance. Um, and, you know, and also he said the phrase, I'm going to write my own destiny several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's what he seems to be doing at this point. You know, he says whether yeah. it's a favor to if Vince calls me up for a favor or, you know, if he just wants to if he's just geeked enough to do it again. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 up to him to decide and nobody yeah. else. Yeah. And and that's totally true, you know. Yeah, I mean at this point in his career he's he's earned the equity to to make that decision, I I suppose. And and you know, he said, you know, if if Triple H or HBK or even Austin himself came kind came up to him, he's like, Hey man, you sure you can keep doing this mm-hmm. at this rate? He'd have to consider it. Yeah. But rank and file people like us, if we go on, on Twitter, go to Q and A is like, Hey, when do you think you should be retiring? Mm-hmm. He's not going to listen to us. Right. Yeah. Nor should, nor he. should he. Yeah. That's right. his decision to make. Yeah. And like, you know, he, yeah, that match against Goldberg was not good. It was awful, but he came right back extreme rules and put on a fun match. Yeah. Yeah. A fun match. Yeah. So if his body is feeling good and he's motivated and he's in it and doing it for the right reason, there's a right opponent across the ring from him. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, he's still a huge he name. still has something to bring. If, yeah, he's still a huge name. He still has something to bring and something to offer. Mm-hmm. I guess why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can say yeah. Maybe the Brock thing should have been it, or maybe the Roman Reigns thing should have been it. But you know, if if it's still it's his career at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and you know, he just kind of says he takes every match at a time. Mm-hmm. Every return is a one time deal. Yeah. Um, so it seems to be a situation where he, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who's gonna have, who's gonna come out and raw and have the huge speech. Yeah, um, Vince might twist his arm to make that happen. Well, no, he even said that. He said that putting down his his, his hat and his jacket in the middle of the ring at uh, the one that we went to was the way to do it. The 2017 was the way to do it. He's mm-hmm. like, this is much better than coming out and doing a speech. Yep. And he said people would understand what all that meant. Mm-hmm. However, he said he got talked into coming back yeah. <laughs> um, for that squash match against John Cena, the following uh, mania. Um and that kind of was the summation of his yeah. in-ring career for the most part. And then yeah. we got some some behind the, the the scene stuff. One of the other interesting things that uh, that I that I wish that Austin would have dived into a little bit more was Taker saying that he basically lived the gimmick. Yeah. For like that first ten years, yeah, or first yeah, five yeah. or six he years, or whatever. His closet is all just black clothes, which is such an interesting concept to me because he seems on this show, anyways. To be a very different person than the dead man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, what the, if that played into his personal life at all? Yeah, I know. If, if, that, if, if there was a, you know, we this happened to actors. That affected relationships. Yeah, if there was a blurring of, if he kind of lost who Mark Calloway was, if he was so, if he was Undertaker 24-7. Yeah, it's one thing to dive into a character for a movie and you're gone for... 10 weeks to, you know, three, even, four months, maybe it's a Kubrick movie, six months, eight yeah, months maybe. or whatever. But 
Like it's a different thing to live that five or six years. Depends too if he's a, if he was method in it, because then he might have got lost. Or if he's like a classical thing where he puts on those clothes and then publicly when he's out and about, he's Undertaker and not mm-hmm. Mark Calloway. Yeah. You know when he returns home, so he can take that uniform off, walk around on, naked, and put be Mark his, Calloway. Put on his Zubaz pants and tank top. Yeah. And then he's Mark. Yeah. You know, I, I guess it kind of depends on his approach. If his approach, what is, he meant by "I lived the gimmick." Yeah. Yeah. If he meant yeah, strictly in public. Or which is still a really difficult. Oh, thing it is. To do. Yeah, yeah. That can't be easy. Um, but that, those are different times too, man. Yeah. Kayfabe still going strong. Well, yeah. I mean, he was even talking about the uh, God. I forget who is it. He was talking about hitting the road with, and then all of a sudden they found out that he was going to be working heel against. Baby it was. Face. It was Stone Cold. Stone Cold was trying to rage a ride for one of the Memphis shows, mm-hmm. and then they found out that uh, yeah, Undertaker was going to work heel. Yeah. And then yeah, Taker right. called and yeah. said, "Sorry, we can't ride to the show that's together. Right, yeah. You can't show up in the car." Oh, that's right. And then Austin said, on. "Okay, I'll stretch you down the line or something yeah, like that." Yeah. And Taker was put off by that, and that he was the one that stretched <laughs> stretched Austin. Oh yeah. And Austin's like, it, "It didn't hurt. I just couldn't do anything." That to me is is one of the trippier aspects of wrestling is that you can run into somebody on the indie scene early in your career, or one of the, in, in their case, on in one of the territories, yeah. and you have no idea if this person is going to end up done with the business in a year, or if they're going to end up languishing as a mm-hmm. jobber maybe mm-hmm. for 30 years, or if they're going to be selling out Madison Square Garden yep. with you and WrestleMania's with you, you know, ten years from then, or even in their case, like five years from then. Yeah, that is that is a really interesting yeah, thing. You know, it's like, oh, this punk kid, I'm going to stretch him, but then he's going to be the biggest name in pro wrestling yeah, five years. Well, they they kind of wrap that up in the end of the show too, where where you know they said, you know, who'd have thought that the two of us would be in the studio doing this? Yeah, you know, thirty years down the line. Yeah, um, and it's pretty crazy that you know there's it's and that's not a thing exclusive to wrestling. You know, you, you think of maybe some. Uh, actors or something who do some community theater and then 15 years later they're like hey we're yeah. at the Oscars together yeah. you know same thing I mean basketball you know yeah, they yeah, got yeah. the high school you know the, the AAU stuff. stuff and yeah yeah um, so it's pretty interesting all right let's talk road stories mm-hmm. um, they talked about that famous picture of Taker uh, uh, Hall Nash, Nash right before they left Triple H, HBK, X-Pac, X-Pac yeah. all sitting around and, and, and Taker actually supplied some context and saying mm-hmm. yeah that was right before they jumped ship to WCW yeah. and then WCW, WCW started kicking our asses in the ratings yeah. yeah, yeah. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season the winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He uh, told a story about partying with Cypress Hill. And out yeah. partying everybody. Yeah. They're in the midst of an extended, he thought like a 17 day uh, tour somewhere overseas. And he was like, all right, I've been going hard for a lot of days. I'm going to take the night off. Just go down to the hotel bar, have a drink with the guys, go, go to bed. Uh, Cypress Hill's there. 
um, they'd say, well, we hear that you're a, a pretty legendary partier. Mm-hmm. And then you know, he's, he I don't think he exactly said what what was said, but someone said something to him that essentially challenged him. Yeah. And he's like, all right, <laughs> let's do it then. Yeah, I love the way his face changed, too, to like, oh, okay. Because he was like, yeah, they're just being kind of disrespectful about it. And so, uh, and I mean, long story short, and it was kind of a long story, he basically was last man standing in yeah. like an all-night rager with Cypress Hill. Yeah. Just bodies everywhere. Yeah. And X-Pac sleeping on his shoulder. Yeah. And he wakes <laughs> up and goes, all right, Sean, I think we're done here. Yeah. <laughs> goes yeah. back to his room and said he had like an early, it was like four in the morning, I think he said, when they got back or something like that. And he had an early morning call, so he got up and he said it sucked. His head felt like crap. He was, he was throbbing. He was miserable. But he goes down there, and everybody else looks like they're dead. Or still sleeping in. Oh, yeah. And so he completely no-sells at all. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, he's like, you know, oh, hey, how's it going, guys? You guys doing good? You know. Yeah. That was awesome. That was pretty funny. That was good stuff. Um, I loved the bit. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say when they uh, moved on to people trying to break. Yeah, that's what I was going to go to Okay, well. good. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed they didn't mention that, that bit where I've seen on, I think it was at a house show where he's running up and down or running... <laughs> the apron spitting water and stuff and, and slam the water ball into the turnbuckle. I'm yeah. really kind of disappointed they bring that up, but yeah. they bring up instances and some of this stuff sounds funny. Um, there's one that like the, the, the chain of headlocks and yeah. the, which is stuff you see in PWG. Trick. That's exactly, that's what I thought when I know. Yeah. And that stuff they do at house shows where I think they, this was a, one of them was a shows overseas where I think Austin said it was, you know, it was a bot show. Yeah. They so went the to, yeah, they were like, Oh, it. this is great. It's going to be a ba- it's, We're going to a baseball stadium holds 40,000 and like 800 people show up. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of gaga going on. Yeah. We're just goofing around, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like when they do like an endless headlock thing where that's there's like great. eight guys and then like the last guy that isn't in the headlock is Aldo Montoya. Yeah. Uh, just incredible. incredible. And he says, he says, you know, go to the, go to the front of the line. You get, says, get in guy, here, get in here. Yeah. Yeah. And you could be the king of the mountain. You could be top of the world. He goes and back. instead he goes to the back of the line and puts his head in the last guy in the headlock. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, that was good. And then they had like the feats of strength where yeah. everybody <laughs> in Undertaker does this. The only person to sell it is the guy across from him who's Austin and then everybody else sells That's it. That's pretty damn funny. That was hilarious. I love the video clip they showed of JBL uh, running down Undertaker. Oh, trying to make him break, yeah. Trying to make him break and they cut to that shot of Undertaker's face in a close-up and he's just trying his damnness not to laugh. I know. It's the, that's the best thing. And then the the kind of final bit on on trying to break the Undertaker was uh, Taker when Rooney. Taker Rooney and Vince even coming out there trying to convince him to do it. Uh-huh. It yeah. was great. Boy, that was good stuff. Great. Yeah. Uh, all in all, really great. Taking the curtain back, totally informative. Humanizing the Undertaker, mm-hmm. uh, all the stuff we'd hope for and more. I mean, if you're familiar with Stone Cold's podcast, he's been doing it for years. This isn't a huge departure from that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because he's always in, in, in those episodes breaking things down. Had not just how'd you get in the business, breaking things down from a character and in ring yeah. standpoint. Because uh, he seems to be a real student of the game in terms oh, of yeah. how people develop their character, how that translates in ring. Uh, and, and translates to how you approach the stories you want to tell. Yeah. Um, he, he, he's the best in terms of, I kind of feel like in terms of the best interviewer of wrestlers, in terms of picking apart the art of and science of pro wrestling, Stone Cold is tops. I agree. I agree totally. I never, I, I never would have thought that he'd be this valuable a resource for people who are just interested in pro wrestling, but mm-hmm. my God, he's so good. He's so good. And it even got like, I even got like a little bit, I didn't cry or anything, but like towards the end, you can tell that Stone Cold was sort of like, he was getting a little emotional. There, there, there was a bit of no country for old men type stuff going mm-hmm. on. 
um, you know, they took like another shot and yeah. uh, and sort of said their farewells. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and then Austin at one point like apologized for like ripping Undertaker's yeah, ear. Yeah, was ripping point. his ear off. Yeah. Uh, it, it, towards the end, it felt like Undertaker was just trying to you know hold on a little bit longer. He didn't want to end things. I know. Uh, because he was having such a good time, and you know these guys are old and they've they've done so much together. I can't uh-huh. imagine what that bond is like. You know. Yeah, I know. I know, and Stone Cold kind of prefaces the interview saying, I've known you for a long time, but I don't know you that yeah, well. Yeah, right, yeah. You know, and I imagine that probably happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of similarities between them. Like, they're from yeah. the same kind of neck of the woods, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. They graduated from high school the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, you know, Undertaker, you, you had your friend. You had your, your crew of people that you hung out with. Ball Street crew! Yeah, and, and Stone Cold said, I just kind of kept to myself. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, there's pictures all over the place of them hanging out backstage. There's the you know famous one that everybody, uh, Stone Cold brought up one of just the two of them hanging mm-hmm. out in Kuwait or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, I got the double earrings going. Yeah. We said I got to have the 80s wrestling neck to hold that chain on there or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it's just interesting to see these guys who've known each other for 30 years yeah. get to know each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. It's pretty cool. I know, man. I wouldn't mind hearing like just them start a podcast of their own. Know. You know? I mean, I how know. great would that be? But, it, it you know... it. I would hope that Undertaker would seriously consider Dead Man Talking. I know. And I'll be honest, like, I know that he was supposed to do a StarCast thing, and then, you know, the, that got pulled out because of, like, you know, Undertaker signed the, the new Legends deal with WWE or whatever. Yeah. But, like, I kind of feel like this was a better venue. Yeah. I really do, like, him and Austin. Unless they're going to have Conrad interview Taker at StarCast. Yeah, that would have been good. Don't get me wrong; that'd have been good. But man, Austin. But I think I think it would have been Conrad would have taken a different approach. It would have. It, I, don't, I don't know if it would have been as nuts and bolts behind the scenes as a wrestler. Yeah. How did this come to happen, Austin? I think also there has to be a certain level of comfortability. And I'm not saying that Con, Conrad seemed like a very comfortable person talking yeah, to yeah, yeah. anybody. But the fact that they have that bond, Austin can relate, and there didn't. There was zero. There is zero idea that there was anything off limits. Yeah. And really, in the end, that's what you want. You want mm-hmm. you want it to be completely everything is on the table to talk about. And if you have the added bonus of Austin, who understands what it is to be in the position that Taker was in, he is uniquely yeah. uniquely qualified yeah. to be ans- asking the questions. Well, no, he's, he's, he's capable in an economy of language of asking questions. That gets to the heart of the matter in pure wrestling terms. And there's always the trust between the guys who have both, you know, there's the wrestler's bond or whatever, the yeah, brotherhood. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Taker probably just would have opened up more with Stone Cold than oh, entirely anybody possible. else. Yeah. So I don't know, man. I think in terms of, of, of peeking behind the curtain and learning about The Undertaker, I think this is probably the way to go more than anything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Anyways, let us know what you guys thought about Broken Skull Sessions in the comments below. Yeah. Thanks so much for watching. We'll be back with the live show tomorrow. Till next time, we'll talk to you later. Goodbye.